What makes you impatient? What is, what is something that makes you impatient? A preacher who goes too long, maybe? That might be, yeah, yeah. <laughs> might be something that makes you impatient. What makes you impatient? Mark Leonard, what makes you impatient? Waiting in line on Saturday at the Costco gas lane. All right, okay. <laughs> it's a challenging one, right? You get to go Costco on a Saturday and be ready to be there for 25 minutes. It's just how it's going to work. Um, anyone else have something that makes them impatient? Traffic. Traffic. All right, that's one that I discovered in a new way yesterday morning. Well, I didn't discover it. I just acknowledged it. Um, on Saturday mornings, I'm one of the people who gets up earliest in our house. In fact, I'm always the earliest up. And it's a great time to get some basic errands done. Because there's some stores that are open early, things like Home Depot and Lowe's. And you can get some things taken care of if you jump over there and buy your supplies or whatever it is that you need. Uh, and then you drive home. Uh, the only thing is there's something else that usually happens on Saturday mornings. It makes me crazy. Garage sales. And all the people who drive around looking for them make me nuts. Have you ever had that experience that you're driving through a neighborhood and there's someone who's driving at like 10 miles an hour, slowly down the street, stopping at every intersection, looking for the poster boards that just, so, you know, advertise these garage sales. And then all of a sudden, if they miss one, they flip a Yui like right in front of you. It makes you crazy sometimes. I had that happen yesterday. Someone was going 10 miles an hour down Palm and I usually go down Palm quite a ways to get to my house if I'm at church and they're just going and they're looking around and I, I'll be honest I said words we had an argument they weren't participants in it I was in my car they were in theirs but we had an argument I won the argument by the way um, but I realized just how impatient I can be with things like that and there's any number of things I mean we're in a season right now of impatient impatience how many of you are impatient with face masks how many of you are impatient with all the protocols and all the things that we have to do? Boy, it's a hard season. How do we learn to live within that? God be praised, we have again the book of Job, and it reminds us over and over again of those things that we can learn, how to live in patience when things are hard. We call Job oftentimes the book of suffering. And it, we talk about Job's patience in it. You know what the other word for patience is? It's long-suffering. We have the ability to go through the challenges of life for a long period of time. Those are some of the things that we want to learn from God's word this morning. And as we do that, let's pray for his blessing on our time of learning and growing. Father. We ask that you be present with us in our learning today. I pray, Lord, that I disappear and that you are present in your words that you speak to us in our hearts and our minds that we might be transformed. Father, that you might equip us through the power of your word to understand better what it means to be patient, what it means to go through difficult things, trusting in your future for us. And we pray, Father, in Jesus' name, that you speak to our hearts and our minds in a way that glorifies you. And we pray these things all in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to begin in Job chapter 25 and turn in your Bibles there. Um, this is 
the friend's parting shot. And it comes in the person of Bildad. We know that there were three different friends who spoke over the course of the last 24 chapters. And here they get their last opportunity to speak through Bildad. And he says these words, dominion and awe belong to God. He establishes order in the heights of the heavens. Can his forces be numbered? On whom does his light not rise? How then can a mortal be righteous before God? <clears throat> How can one born of woman be pure? If even the moon is not bright and the stars are not pure in his eyes, how much less a mortal who is but a maggot, a human being who is only a worm. Now these are the final words that Job's friends are speaking to him. And if we've listened well over all their speeches, we've seen it sort of ramp up, right? It's, it's escalated. At first it started with, Job, you need to think differently. We're sorry for your situation, but confess your sin. If you confess your sin and are righteous before God, he will bless you. He will be present with you. And now, as they've gone through all these speeches and Job has responded, he finished really with this final sentence, quite a sentence. How much less a mortal who is but a maggot, a human being who is only a worm, they're really including Job in that. And they're basically, they're all saying, guess what, Job, what you've got and what you offer, even if it is good, it's worthless before God. And even if you want to make your accusation and say the words that you've been saying, wanting to call God to judge you, be present so that he can stand before your accusation, even that, Job, guess what? That's worthless. You've got nothing. That's pretty heavy-duty stuff. And you can imagine Job, you know, just as he's sitting there, almost his head going down. just the pain of wanting something good from your friends and you're not getting it. But they give a little nugget. There's a little nugget in here, but you got to look for it. Look at verse four. It says this, how then can a mortal be righteous before God? How can one born of woman be pure? We know in other passages that we've already studied in Job that Job is long for Jesus. Now we're hearing that longing in his friends. They're longing for someone to be able to stand in that place. How then can a mortal be righteous before God? Who are they talking about? Talking about Jesus. Even his friends have that longing and that yearning for someone to come and be righteous before God. And they don't even know it. Bildad doesn't know what he's asking for. But even then, in that moment, God is planning his redemption of his people. He's giving them what they need exactly when they need it and how they need it, but not yet. It doesn't come quite yet. When Job responds to all that in chapter 26, he says these words, how you have helped the powerless, how you have saved the arm that is feeble, what advice you have offered to one without wisdom, what great insight you have displayed. Who has helped you utter these words? Whose spirit spoke from your mouth? I hope you hear the cynicism. That's Job's. The dead are in deep anguish. 
those beneath the waters and all that live in them. The realm of the dead is naked before God. Destruction lies uncovered. He spreads out the northern skies over empty space. He suspends the earth over nothing. He wraps up the waters in his clouds, yet the clouds do not burst under their weight. He covers the face of the full moon, spreading his clouds over it. He marks out the horizon on the face of the waters for a boundary between light and darkness. The pillars of the heavens quake aghast at his rebuke. By his power, he churned up the sea. By his wisdom, he cut Rahab to pieces. By his breath, the skies become fair, became fair. His hand pierced the gliding serpent, and these are but the outer fringe of his work. How faint the whisper we hear of him. Who then can understand the thunder of his power? So he begins this chapter really by ridiculing the advice of his friends yet again. Verses two through four, he's done with it. You offer me nothing. You offer me no comfort. But then he shifts, and what he shifts to is interesting because he starts to name God as sovereign over all things. Now, this is again the guy... Job, who has said, my suffering is at the hands of God. But here he's acknowledging God's sovereignty in all things. And look at the things as you look from chapter or verse five, all the way to the end of the passage, all the things that he names as the places God is sovereign. He's over life. He's over death. He's over the oceans, the skies, the earth, the moon, the clouds, the light, the darkness, and finally, the good and the evil. That's power. And that's really what Job is acknowledging. God is sovereign over everything. All these big things. That's not Job's problem. Job's problem is not God's power. It's where he's exerting his power. Job is in essence saying, you're in the mountains and the skies, the trees around, the grass, the birds that sing, the squirrels that skitter across the trees. But where are you for me? Where are you for me? I'm hurting. I'm lost. I'm broken. I don't know that I've done anything wrong, and yet I experience all this pain. Where are you? He's looking for God's personal presence. He knows the big God. He's looking for the personal God that changes his reality. He's looking for the right way for God to be present for the right thing to happen at the right time so that his life and his heart, his, his, his peace, his, all the things that are broken inside of him because of all the suffering of Job 1 and 2, all those things can be redeemed. He's, he's longing for that to happen. And the thing is that God will give him an answer, right? We know that. But God will give him an answer, as we know, at the right time and in the right way because that's the way that God works. God works doing the right thing at the right time. And we need that, right? Years ago, I, found, I saw that at work. I needed the right person at the right place at the right time. Otherwise, I would have been in trouble. I was with a group of youth group kids. 
Um, we were traveling in the Central Valley. We were on our way up to the San Francisco Bay Area for a service project, and we were dragging a, a trailer behind a truck. I was driving the truck, and as sometimes happens when you're dragging a trailer, we had a, a blowout of one of the tires in the trailer. And if you know anything about trailer tires, um, you know, trailers, you got to jack them up and all that sort of stuff. It can be a little hinky. It's not quite as easy as doing it with, you know, a car or a truck. It's, it takes a little bit more, more um, luck, skill, all that other sort of stuff. All things that I didn't have. Because we tried to fix it at the side of the road, and I was one guy who was trying to help me while another guy took all the youth group kids to a fast food stop with the other leaders, and then he was looking around at places we could maybe get the tire fixed. We're on the side of the road, and, and we're in trouble because when it blew out, it dropped so hard that it bent the rim around the brake drum of the brakes, and so we couldn't get it off. It was bad. And we're doing everything. We're getting rocks, trying to hit this rim off. We're trying to shift it that way and lift it up a little bit, digging holes to get the jack up, you know, in a different place, in a different way. And we can't, we're in trouble. I mean, I've got 35 youth group kids sitting at a jack-in-the-box, cleaning them out of their, their whole milkshake machine. That's all I got. I'm in trouble. Unless something gets fixed, all of a sudden we have phone rings guy calls me and he's the guy who took the kids up further he goes i got the right place they have the exact trailer tires for that trailer in stock they got two of them we'll replace everything it's literally only a mile away you got to go through left right left right you got to find it but it's there he says get here so we start driving we're on a flat tire like literally we wear everything off, we're just down to the rim. We drive, finally find this place, pull into the parking lot. They're taking pictures because of how ridiculous we look, right? And they, within 15 minutes, everything's perfect. Trailer's fixed, we're good to go. Now I actually, and I do, you can see it if you come over to my house, I have a rim that's just a portion of a rim that's left on the wall of my garage is a good memory of the story of this flat tire on the trailer. But if it wasn't the right place, if we would have been any different, we would have had to go miles to get fixed. And I don't know that we would have made it. If there had been another group, another tire dealer there, they may not have had the right trailer tires. It might not have been at the right time if we were there when they were driving past when they were closed. The right place, the right people at the right time. And what Job needs to wait for is that to happen in God's kingdom. But for him to wait for it to happen means he has to have something. And that's patience. That's what we're going to hear more about as we continue to read chapter 27. It says this. Job continued his discourse. Surely God lives, as God lives, who has denied me justice? The Almighty who has made my life bitter. As long as I have life within me, the breath of God in my nostrils, my lips will not say anything wicked, and my tongue will not utter lies. I will never admit you are in the right. He's speaking to his friends here. Till I die, I will not deny my integrity. I will maintain my innocence and never let go of it. My conscience will not reproach me as long as I live. May my enemy be like the wicked, my adversary like the unjust. For what hope have the godless when they are cut off, when God takes away their life? 
Does God listen to their cry when distress comes upon them? Will they find delight in the Almighty? Will they call on God at all times? I will teach you about the power of God, the ways of the Almighty. I will not conceal. You've seen this for yourselves. Why then this meaningless talk? Here's the fate God allots to the wicked. Heritage a ruthless man receives from the Almighty. However many his children, their fate is the sword. His offspring will never have enough to eat. The plague will bury those who survive him, and their widows will not weep for them. Though he heaps up silver like dust and clothes like piles of clay, what he lays up the righteous will wear, and the innocent will divide his silver. The house he builds is like a moth's cocoon, like a hut made by a watchman. He lies down wealthy, but will do so no more. When he opens his eyes, all is gone. Terrors overtake him like a flood. A tempest snatches him away in the night. The east wind carries him off, and he is gone. It sweeps him out of his place, hurls itself against him without mercy as he flees headlong from its power, claps its hand in derision, and hisses him out of his place. Job begins that last chapter by saying, I'm not going to give up my innocence. I will never admit that you, my friends, are in the right. I will maintain my innocence, never let go of it. My conscience will not reproach me as long as I live. I have not. I am not the source of my own suffering. This suffering has just happened, and it's happened from the hands, the allowance of God in my life. But I'm not. I'm not going to give up on living the way that I'm living. I'm not going to do the life of an evil person. Verses 11, uh, 11, all the way to the end of the passage, are all about that. I don't want that life. I don't want something that is worthless, that is meaningless, that ends up in ruin. I, I will continue to live righteously despite my pain, and I'm not going to go to the other side. I'm going to live in this space. The only problem is, is that this space is hard. Because it means you continue to live righteous even if you don't receive blessing. It means that you continue to live righteously just because that's what we're called to do. Not because of the benefit that it might give you. Because in Job's case, it doesn't give him any benefit. So how do we do that? How do we stand in this world where it seems like things don't get better sometimes? Where COVID has now lasted eight months and do we even see an end in sight? Where kids or grandkids don't have that relationship with God that we long for them to have and it just seems like years of prayer hasn't changed that reality. When jobs or whenever it is that we're going through just doesn't seem to get fixed and it doesn't seem to improve and we continue to struggle with whatever it is that we struggle with. I think about that specifically for some of our senior saints and some of their physical infirmities. In some cases, they've been dealing with for 10, 15, even 20 years. How long do I have to live in this space? How do you do that? Well, God be praised we have a gift again in God's word. We're reminded. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 10 
begins what is known as the armor of God passage. And we'll go read the whole passage, but I want to highlight some stuff early in the passage to help us get an understanding of how we, along with Job, live into that space, that difficult space of suffering. It says this in Ephesians chapter 6, Finally, be strong in the Lord in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might declare it fearlessly as I should. Now, I could go through this whole passage. It's a whole sermon series on armor of God. And in fact, I've done that before. Whole series on, on what it means to have the gospel, what it means to have faith, what it means to have salvation, what it means to have truth. All these things are things that equip us to live into this middle space between anticipating things being fixed in the future and the reality of what we're dealing with right now. That in this space, being patient, all this armor stuff equips us for that. But you know what else equips us for that? I want to highlight it in verse 13. It says this, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. It's interesting how he says, says that. He says that you may be able to stand and after everything is done that you may be, may be able to stand. Just keep on standing. Keep on going. Keep on being faithful. Keep on living in this world. In essence, what we're hearing here both from Paul and the longing in Job is be patient in this space. Be patient with the challenges. Because yes, they stink. They're hard. But someday, you and I both know, God will redeem them. Amen? We know the truth of the book of Revelation. We know that even in this life, some things will get better. Here's my promise to you. Unless the Lord tarries, which he may, he may not. Praise be Jesus if he comes by the end of the service. Apparently it's not right now because I'm still talking. However, I promise you, if Jesus doesn't come back, someday we will be worshiping in the sanctuary with a full house, with masks off, raising our hands to give glory to God. Right now we're in this space, but someday that's going to come. So what do we do in this space? We keep being patient. We stand 
And after we've done everything else, we continue to stand. And those things with your kids and your grandkids, those challenges with work, those challenges with our world and our politics and all that sort of stuff, that we continue to be patient in these things, standing and just simply saying, today is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And then when tomorrow comes, you know what we say? This is the day that the Lord has made and let us rejoice and be glad in it. And you know what we say the next day? And the next day after that? That's standing in this space. Even think about Job in this reality, right? Because he doesn't get the answer that we sometimes do. Right? I mean, we know We know when you look at the end of the book, he gets all the material blessings, but he's been asking throughout the book for Jesus. He doesn't get Jesus. In fact, what do we call, what do we call, what is the saying in our world that we have for Job, right? We call the patience of Job. Even in the book, his patience is not fully and completely answered. He joins literally over the course of history millions and millions of Jews who do not get the answer for the longing that they have to see the Messiah because Jesus doesn't come until it's the right person at the right time in the right place. That's hundreds of years after Job. And yet, you know what he does? He stands. And when he's done everything else, he keeps standing. And he keeps standing. And he keeps standing. And friends, for us to learn that, for us to have the courage and the trust in God and to grow that faith and understanding that sometimes in whatever it is right now, the best thing that we can do is literally keep on keeping on. Keep on walking with Jesus. Wake up every morning with some gratitude. Offer a prayer of thanksgiving. This is the day you've made, Lord. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. And then go and do whatever it is that God calls you to do. When you've done everything else, keep on doing it. It's patience. Because here is what we know. One day, beauty is coming. Christ returns. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. Trump resounds. The Lord descends. And then in that moment, in a way we've never known before, it will be well with our soul. That's the promise. We know that. We can be patient now, trusting in what is to come. Let's pray together. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your strength for us on our behalf that in the difficulties of life, we may be able to stand, that we can be patient on you, God, that in your time, in your place, that you will redeem all things in the right way. Lord, you have a plan, a space, a time when that will happen for your glory that people might see this is Jesus at work. Lord, may we be patient for that in the meantime, whatever that circumstance is. May we trust, Lord, that that future is a good one, a good, 
one, Lord, for your glory and for your kingdom to grow. And that right now you simply call us to live into all those armor qualities of righteousness and faith and peace and truth. And we live into the power of your word, all those things, and they equip us for the now. We can stand firm, not through our own strength, but through yours. Because without you, we can't do it. But because we have the gift of you, we can continue to stand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.